Podcraft. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebo Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey, everybody. Before I tell you a little bit about this episode, I want to mention to you that I have a Facebook group, Relationships Let's Talk About It. That's a forum that you can contact me, leave some comments in regards to the podcast episodes. And also, I would love to hear from you on what kind of relationship topics that you would like to hear on future podcasts. So I'm going to be posting some articles, some other cool stuff on it, just getting started on that Facebook group page. So check it out. So on this episode, you are invited to be a fly on the wall and eavesdrop in a conversation between two friends, myself and Greg Lavoie. It is about men's friendships and the challenges and the rewards. It's a pretty casual conversation. Our cadence goes back and forth as two friends do, a little different cadence than I have on, of course, my monologues. But we discuss what makes our friendship unique while also pointing out some challenges that men have in maintaining and deepening their relationships and why men need to get past competition and what makes men show their vulnerability to each other. So Greg gives some stories himself about some of his friends and of course his twin brother and some touching moments with his dad. And I share some stories also around loyalty and some vulnerability. So... I hope you enjoy men's friendships, challenges, and the rewards. So I'm excited to talk about this topic because as some of you know and have listened to my previous episode on men's work where I talked with Andy about what it takes to do the male work of understanding ourselves and our integrity and our emotions and the vulnerability. And now I'm talking to my dear friend, Greg Lavoie, and we're going to talk about the next level about taking it to friendships, male friendships. And we're going to get to talk about our friendship and all the challenges that men go through with friendships. So here's my friend. My friend is actually moving in a couple of weeks. So we got some stuff to talk about on that. <laughs> But uh, that what makes it even juicier to to be able to talk about male friendships and our friendship as this transition in our life is going on. So one reason why I wanted to do it was to know how deeply important it is to me that we continue this wonderful adventure together. Yeah, absolutely. Digitally, we have to. Exactly. So male friendships, that's a big one, huh? I know for me, I've formed very good friendships all my life. They've been very, very important to me. And they came somewhat easy. I know a lot of men have a lot of challenges. Why do you think men have challenges in forming friendships? Ooh, this may sound like a cliche, but it's the way boys are raised. I mean, there's so many taboos on strictures on their behavior. Real men do this. Real men do that. Boys don't cry. Don't be a sissy. Guys called you a faggot in high school if you were the slightest bit different. 
And me and Ross got that just because we were twins and we were an anomaly or something. A lot of competition. Competition, I think, is a big one. I think that's one challenge that men have in forming relationship because we're conditioned for competition among each other. Yeah. And also vying for a partner, right? That competition to, right. to squeeze. So in. here's a piece of now, this is big, partly because I'm a twin and competition is turned up right. among twins. I mean, it's there for siblings generally, but twins, it's, it's turned up. We competed like hell for everything all through growing up. And in our twenties, it shifted because we used to play a lot of tennis together and, you know, competitive and pissed off when you missed a shot and, not even liking each other's company. And we stopped keeping score and just to see how long we can keep the ball in play between us. Cooperative. Yeah. Instead of competitive. And then, but taking the scorekeeping out and we played way better. That's significant. We played better and we didn't fight as much and we enjoyed the game more. Just that shift of not keeping score, taking that, that competitive edge out. Made it a lot more fun. We now see how long we can keep the volley going. That's a beautiful metaphor about how that is even in friendships then, right? If we stop competing for you do this better, you have a better job, you have more money, whatever it is, and we're able to just really appreciate that, like you say, keep the ball going of just keep the energy between us that's fun, that's connecting. Right, yeah. right. We do that well. I think one thing, we support each other a lot. I don't feel the competition between us. Right. I feel it in the fun way when we jab each other of, of some things. Like that time with, with your remote control on the car remote, we wanted to see which yours yours worked farther. Oh, the lights. <laughs> on the car, the lock right. on the car. Yeah. Your, yours, Mine was bigger than yours was. <laughs> yours was longer. It was longer, longer distance. Longer exactly. Distance. You're saying it's fun. Yeah. And of course, it's not always. I mean, professional sports, war. I mean, competition gets horrible and ferocious. And maybe guys are scared of that, even with each other. I mean, I don't know. I grew up with a twin, so I'm used to being in a, the space with another guy. And there is definitely competition for attention, for girls, for, you know, whatever the resources we were after. So how do you think most men that feel that can get past that? Ooh, I mean, here's where your last episode comes in. Right. Doing that work. You, you got to do the work. And become humble. I mean, this is one of the reasons why my men friendships have improved in quantum leaps because of the men's work. Because I was thrown into a little crucible of being taught. And here's the thing. Seek out places where you can have people teach you these skills and then practice them, you know. But the men's group was a teacher in how to be with guys non-defensively how to create a, quote, safe space for each other, how to listen, how to not be defensive, how to do, remember the I statements right. instead of you statements. So taking responsibility. I heard a guy in one of my men's groups say to the other, hey, fuck you. And the other guy said, hey, I statements only. And the guy said, okay, eat me. <laughs> nice. We can have fun with it, too. Exactly. It tutored me in some of the skills necessary to do what you and I do. Right. Listen, look at each other, not be freaked out at being just being present with each other. I mean, ever noticed when you're in conversation with people, especially guys, if the conversation stops, the eye contact breaks. You ever notice that? It's impossible to just 
be in each other's presence and look at each other and not be freaked. Yeah, freaked of that aspect of of that possibility. We only learn that to do that in a sexual connotation when mm. you stare, right? So it's the right. homophobic or, or, aspect. Or hostile. Or hostile, that's right. That's true. The intimidation right. of being intimidated. I mean, the hostile at, gaze. Right. I loved our moment that we had a few weeks ago at the cemetery when, when we were talking and you told me that you were moving last month and mm. we had that look, that tender look of connection and love and, and sweet sadness. Right. Yeah, we didn't have to fill that void. Right, yeah. Yeah, the oh shit of it. Mm-hmm. So our friendship has lasted, we met, what, like 16 years ago? Exactly. Yeah. And the depth of that, what it's gone to, for me, is what's, what's beautiful. I, I have so enjoyed the play and the fun and the activities that, that we do. And most men, that's what they get, they get together around is activities, sports and other things. TV. TV. The drinking. Bond, drinking, exactly. And that, that's, more, that's a lot of <clears throat> bonding, right? Male bonding. Men could sit in front of a TV next to each other for four hours, not talk, and then like afterwards, hey, man, that was great. Thanks. Yeah. You had a wonderful time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you and I have taken to that to that next level of I love when we just we just talk about hanging out, and you and I can talk about our lives and our feelings for hours on end. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes this relationship different than most guys, because like you said, most guys get together to do stuff. I think the basis of ours is dialogue. Right. It's conversation. And that's like, I think I'm going to put big quotes around this. That's more of a feminine thing. That's right. To sit around and just talk. But when are we going to do something? You know, like when women present a problem to a man, men, men want to fix it. They just, they want to fix it. They don't want to process it. They don't want to hash it over and over. They don't want to sit with it and feel it, all that. But, you know, you, you and I, I think this is a skill we have is just, we can talk. Right. We can talk about what's real and what's really going on, and we can just both be amazed at life at the same time. And and we give each other the space to really let one talk and the other one hear. We don't one-up each other. We don't come back real quickly of my experience and then your experience and my experience. We, I love that you were a journalist, so you have that inquiry and that interest. Oh. And I feel as a therapist, I loved having a friendship with you because you were the friendship outside of my work where I listen all the time. I had somebody that really wanted to listen to uh, me, you know, right here. Yeah. yeah. That's a high art for people to do the generous listening thing. Right. We're not taught these skills. You, you know, we have to cut ourselves slack as well. Also, I, I don't know if you mentioned this in the beginning, but we should definitely say that this is two men talking about men's relationships. We don't have a woman's perspective or a right. sister's perspective or... Which I'll do in another episode. Yeah. That's going to be juicy. Yeah. yeah. It should be. Because I sometimes wonder, what would men like to know, <laughs> should know about their male friendships or what are women's thoughts about them? Because this is a good episode for women to listen to, to really understand male relationships. And also, I know there's many women, I have many clients that want their man to form friendships yeah. because, one, it's attractive that when a man is having a relationship and what he's learning and experiencing and he's able to bring that back into the relationship, his primary relationship, and the woman doesn't feel the burden that she's his whole world. Right. Yeah. yeah, I think that would definitely be something about men's friendships is take some of the pressure off your relationships with women. They don't have to be your emotional broker. You know, they uh, don't have to carry all the emotional stuff and feel all the feelings and even just have somebody to play with. I mean, I, th I would imagine women would be supportive of men who got their yayas out with their friends as long as it was, you know, on this side of the moral line and whatnot. Yeah. 
But go out and have your fun. Get your big muscles going. Use your outside voice. Be a boy. I know my ex-wife used to say that. Go be a boy and just go play. And I guess guys know how to do that a lot together. It's not so much with without the competition in there. Yeah. And that play, again, is around activities, right? Is that play? Seems to be, to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, it's sports, it's TV, it's drinking, it's hanging out, but not talking much. And I maybe this is going to get worse instead of better because of the social media thing. Mm-hmm. What that seems to be doing to people's social skills. Well, I think the talking part, that means that men have to be vulnerable. They have to have an emotional vocabulary. And a lot of men are comfortable yeah. with that. Okay. They don't want to disclose it. Because if I disclose, you got one up on me. And especially if that competition right. comes, yep. I don't trust. You know, yeah. that trusting factor is going to be hard. My dad had a heart attack in his, I don't know, late 40s or something. And I wanted to come visit him in the hospital. And I asked him and he said, no. He said, don't come. And I, like an idiot, didn't. Later, he said, ah, I shouldn't have told you that. I was just being the stoic. I didn't want you to see me that vulnerable, just laid out. Hmm. Right after that, I go to visit him at his house. And we get into a conversation. I started it about the divorce when I was nine. And I just got a chance to say to him how much that hurt me. And I started to cry when I said that. And then he started to cry. And there's something I'd never seen. And bless her heart, his wife, second wife, who we always called the ice queen, she cried. And the bunch of us are blubbering there. And my dad, we're in each other's arms with all this manly blubbering. He said, I have waited 20 years to hold you in my arms. Mm. And that was like a whole nother wave of weeping. And then he says, oh my God, can you imagine? I mean, that says so much about men's relationship to one another is that a father would withhold his love and expressions of love to his own son and long for it at the same time and not do it because stoic. After we finish crying in each other's arms, he is a new man because he'd come hobbling to the front door. He was older looking than I'd ever seen him. But in that moment, his back straightened up. He went, his thing, he always loved to do this. All right. And rub his hands together, clap his hands and rub them together. Stands up, goes over to the bar and says, anybody want a drink? And he looks at me and he goes, this is the medicine I've needed. Wow. It took a heart attack for him to reveal that kind of vulnerability. I've waited 20 years to hold. It took a heart attack. Holy shit. I read a story in the Atlantic magazine written by a waiter in a midtown Manhattan restaurant. He says, men who are choking in public will sometimes hide in the bathroom out of embarrassment, fear of embarrassment, where they will die because they can't get help. <laughs> that's a, we're laughing because that's a little bit of me. I have a hard time asking for help. Yeah. Greg even wrote about it in Tell his book. Because well, you told it to me. <laughs> Tell it. I almost drowned. Yeah, so I had experience with that. I guess you call it too much pride, definitely. Some years ago, I was at a good friend's wedding, and they had uh, lots of events over the weekend. And one of it, the whole party, we went swimming in a, a big lake. And many people swam way out. I'm not a very good swimmer, so I didn't go as far out as they did, but I went uh, like 50 yards, and for me, that's far. And I realized that I was getting tired. So I knew I had to head back. So when I was heading back, I started stiffening up, caught some water, 
and I was in trouble and I didn't call for help. And I remember going under a few times and second and third time I thought like this was it. Visions of my wife and son finding out that uh, I drowned because I didn't ask for help. My friend on his wedding day, that's gonna be the memory, the anniversary of his friend dying on his wedding day, that's ridiculous. And I just remember I conjured up uh, some strength and really did what I can and made it back to shore and I did it. And I remember falling back on the sand and I was all tight, my muscles were all tight and I was shaking and, and I realized, shit, you know, I made it and I didn't ask for help and I can make it on my own. So that reinforced that mentality. Until a couple weeks after that, I was at home with my wife and son and had some carry out Chinese food and walked around and popped a shrimp in my mouth and started to choke and was feeling that uh, I wasn't gonna be able to get it out. And I had that feeling that that's it. This is the way I'm gonna go. And I looked at my wife with this panic eyes and was making sounds and for help and she uh, came behind me and did the Heimlich maneuver and boom, shrimp came out and she was pissed. <laughs> of course she was angry that I was walking around with, with shrimp and not eating calmly like she says I should. And she was upset that I didn't listen to her before of my bad habits of walking and eating. But I was ecstatic, I was happy because I said, hey babe, I asked for help and you saved my life. How about that? I do ask for directions. That's one thing I do. I do ask for directions. And she's furious yeah. because to her, this is like pathological masculinity. Exactly. Which I know for a lot of women is probably a, just a redundant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at the state of the world. You're right. I mean, we don't ask for help. It's that vulnerability. But again, if men take that risk with each other and form some of that relationship, because I hear, you know, I hear men say, I love you, brother. I love you. That's nice. I mean, the love stuff you, to even say, right, love you, man. To even, that's great. <clears throat> but to start. really take it to another level of being able to have this exchange. And I love that you and I are able to tell each other yeah. how much we mean in each other's lives, the appreciations that we, that we send to each other and say face to face to each other. That's another level of yeah. that part of vulnerability that I actually trust you with my feelings, my experience, holding that space for me, respecting me for doing that. Mm -hmm. Cause you know how hard it is to do. So that's an inspiration. Right. Yeah. The trust. And that's not so easy to come by sometimes in some families, trust issues. And if you didn't feel like you trusted your dad or your mom or uncles and aunts, it was tough to take that out into the rest of your life. Do you find that, that it was harder or easier for you to make friendships later on in your, in your life than earlier on? Yeah. See, again, I'm, I'm a twin. So I've got a, almost like a certain standard, I, I think, of what to expect from friendships with guys. So I kind of assumed a certain level of intimacy that I didn't necessarily find in the world. But I think it was a good standard to have because I looked for that in other relationships with guys. What was the criteria? Well, like what you and I do is very brotherly. We spend a lot of time together. We talk to one another. We listen. We're silly. Yeah. Right? Heard each other's stories, know each other's stuff, and a playful quality and teasing mm -hmm. quality. But And there was a few times, not many, that we had confrontations to confront each other. Yep. Yeah, and that, and we moved past that. That was great to right. be able to. We did it well. Right. But you said that in the beginning with Ross, how you got along in your friendship was was a lot of fighting. 
Yeah, a lot of competition, but it was also having a built-in best friend for life. That's what having a twin is, at least potentially. I'm always appalled when I run into twins who can't stand each other. I'm like, what? You were granted a best friend for life built in and you fucked it up? I mean, what a wasted opportunity. So, but anyway, so I, I just, I, have a, I do have a best friend for life. And it's always great just to know as I go through life that there's somebody, a twin brother. Right. Somebody I can always count on and et cetera. And even with a, a twin brother, it can get uncomfortable in some situations like the holding hands. Oh, true. Oh, okay, so, right. Ross and I are having a conversation. We're walking in, on a forest trail in the mountains above where he lives in Santa Cruz, California. And we're having a conversation about how susceptible we are to cultural conditioning. I mean, it started because he made some brag about being immune to advertising. <laughs> so I said, really? I dared him to hold hands with me to sort of make a point about it. He, he gives me a look that translates to, I call your bluff. And we held hands. And like the next 10 seconds <laughs> provoked an outbreak of reflexes that would have put Pavlov's dogs to shame. I'm not <laughs> shitting. I mean, just embarrassment, awkwardness, discomfort, uh, even a little physical repulsion, pure conditioning. That was my point. Pure conditioning. Yeah, because it's like holding your own hand with your twin. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's just the thing. It's like the, nobody was around. Nobody was around. We acted like it, we were under a magnifying glass. Nobody was there. You kept your hands going? You, you well, we hands? did it for 10 seconds, and we broke. Who broke? Ross did. I wouldn't be a, <laughs> do, you, do you make sure that he knows that I he's the one that broke? proper twin if I didn't report that to you. <laughs> he broke first. No competition there, But folks. it's like it was all there, even among twins who are used to – we're like used to puppy piling, right. him and I, have our whole lives. And just, But to hold hands outside, mm. even though nobody was around, was a whole other ball game. We ought to offer bows to the men who are listening to this about what we're asking them to do, because you're up against serious conditioning, right. that it is shameful to look feminine if you're a guy, unless you're gay or something, of course. But I don't know. I just, we're up against quite an uphill battle, right. in all honesty, to be vulnerable with one another. And I think the, the world needs it, not just our relationships and our health, but the world needs it, needs men to learn how to talk to one another and not just fight right. or get the better of each other or show each other up or whatever. Really to be brothers and to tackle the, the world's problems and our own problems side by side instead of, you know, mano a mano. Right. That physical part to me is also mm -hmm. important. You know, I love as we're walking down the street, I just give you like this bear yeah. hug just, just as a sign of just affection and right. excitement. And yeah, but I, I don't think I would do that to a woman, you know? So it's like that kind of strength that I do it with. And, and it feels right. good because it feels good. It's like, feel my power, feel my strength yeah. in this friendship loving right. way. Yeah. 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 It's, that's a very brotherly thing to do. Right. Just throw your arm around him, squeeze him really hard until he pops. And <laughs> <laughs> that kind of what it feels like when you do, you just like, Argh! exactly. <laughs> and I think the more that we're, real men with one another, I think we're going to bring that into our relationships with our partners. We're just going to bring that tenderness and that, I don't know, being seen, being understood, it just guys getting to talk to one another just softens them. 
take some of the rough edges off. I think there's male friendships that are healthy and good, but can be a little stoic and not share an emotion. The one component that I see that I really respect is when there's loyalty. I think men that are in friendship, even if they don't share a lot, there's loyalty there. And my moon is in Scorpio, as my wife says. So loyalty is very important to me. I wonder if that, if that yeah, is a gender thing. you have a story thing. about that? Yeah, here's one that comes to mind. I have a friend that some years ago when he was in a relationship, uh, his girlfriend at the time did not like him sharing information with me about their relationship. He was sharing his thoughts, his experiences of his relationship, and she felt too vulnerable and that it was private. And in some degree, I can understand that, yet she emailed me without him knowing, requesting that if he talked to me about their relationship, she wanted me to stop him, right, dead in his tracks. She wanted me to tell him that um, he shouldn't be talking to me about their relationship. And I had a really difficult time with that because if my friend wanted me to do that, then that's fine. That request needed to come from him, not her. And I told her that in the email, my response. And she didn't respond back. She didn't tell him that she actually emailed me. I had to tell him that. And he had some issues that she went behind his back directly to me to request that. So there were some loyalty issues around that. And of course, that I had to my friend in that particular instance. Confidentiality comes into my mind as an example of that. Mm -hmm. I think loyalty comes, I know, with both men and women when it comes to like a breakup or, or a divorce. Like who's that friend going to choose? You know, uh -huh. if there was a friend, right? If there was a friend of a couple. Right. You, well, who are the kids going to choose? It's not about taking sides. Well, maybe it is Sometimes about taking sides. Sometimes it is. Oh, my God. My parents used to use the three of us as weapons against each other in their continuing fight. I mean, it was messy. Mm-hmm. And maybe I felt like my father's loyalty was misplaced. He wasn't loyal to us. He literally brought us into court to testify against my mother. I mean, thanks, Dad. <laughs> and then I had to explain it to the kids at school why I was absent on a Wednesday. Oh, I, I just had a mole removed. <laughs> so that loyalty creates safety. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, again, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but men keep coming back to the competitiveness between them. And the lack of feeling safe. Well, I think that's one reason why a lot of men go out uh, when they're hanging out and they drink. They go to a bar. Because what happens when you have a few drinks? Yeah. You become... You talkative. Become talkative and vulnerable and a little more emotional. You're, right. you're allowed. Right. When I lived in Japan and co-workers would go out with the Japanese, you go out and you get shit-faced drunk. And you can say anything that you want to say. You could razz the boss, call him all kinds of stuff, what he, what he didn't do. And the next day, it's never talked about and totally forgotten. And that's like oh, the allowed to do it in that form. But only when you're drunk. Only when you're drunk, right? What would happen if you did it when you were sober? That would be so out of etiquette. <laughs> so out that's of etiquette. That's so weird. You're saying the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so out of etiquette. But I think that men actually do that and are conditioned with that when they're drinking. Yeah. To also, that's the time that they get emotional, and it's okay for other men. Yeah, as long as they're not slapping their kids around at home because of the yeah, drinking. The, or... and, and the thing about it is that the next day they, they forget it, and they don't talk yeah, in that way around each other. Mm. I have clients that have gone through you know addictions of uh, alcohol when they stopped. They reevaluated their friendships 
and they a lot of them realign yeah. their their friendships, their drinking buddies, and they no longer have that in common yeah. because they're not talking in that yeah. way, and they try to form healthier relationships where they could talk sober. That's good. I mean, ultimately, in a weird sort of way, it's it's almost healthy because at least they're talking. That's true. You know, and I think that's just critical. If guys can seek out ways to get them talking. Do you have relationships that, um, friendships that you, I don't want to say compromise on, but you're pulling some of that out in men? I don't, I don't think I go after that deliberately. I'm just being myself and... I tell pretty quickly whether guys are on the same wavelength with me and whether they're worth hang- spending time with. That's, I think, <laughs> with age. That's why I'm, I'm not compromising with who I spend time with yeah, anymore. right. Close friends are, I'm picking them and I'm choosing them and I'm not spreading myself thin with, right. with relationships that don't Yeah, nurture. I know. In this social media age when everybody has 5,000 friends or 4,000 friends or whatever, to really have two or three of them, it's really like a cliche, but it's true. Yeah. All you need is a couple. Yeah couple of good, strong relationships. And I've been so fortunate in my life because I grew up with some boys that I'm still in relationship after over 50 years with Kenny and Mark and Jabron and Yas and forming later on in my, my life with, with Adley and, and Corey. And so I, with some of these guys that I knew when I was like two or three, when I met them, I talked to them once, almost, I talked to Kenny like once a week on my drive home. Jabron once every couple of weeks. These guys, I still maintain this contact for all these years. Mm. They've they've known me all my life, so I feel so seen. All the transitions that I've taken in life, they know me. They've re- they followed me. They love me. They respected me. And those are that's so rare to have that many friends that, um, that I'm close with long, and that, and that long term. I mean, not many people have friendships that go back that far. And what does it do for you to feel like you have you've got those? boys in the background it feels really supported it feels that i can really be myself that i'll be understood i think there's a way that men you know i got you brother i know what it feels like to be a man and it ain't easy mm-hmm. so i've got that i think it helped me tremendously to even have that quality with my son he's my son i'm his father but there's there is a friendship there i really like him and he likes me mm. and so there's something about him and I have a sense of humor and that connection that I've had with those friends. And oh, that's why right. that also it's easy to be that way. And I'm glad you asked that because some other athlete used to bring this up of, of, of why Xander would gravitate or really like Adley or like my friends or how he really likes you. One reason is because he sees me love you uh-huh. and you love mm-hmm. me. And right. so he's loves he's you. Board he's already. on board already. <laughs> yeah. So modeling those friendships with him has given him that Ooh, yeah. permission and that teaching. And he has wonderful friendships also that he grew up with. Mm-hmm. With guys. With guys. Yeah. And what kind of stuff do they do together? I think they do activities and, and they hang and they talk and music and, but they laugh a lot. Mm. They laugh a lot. And so that's something that I can relate to. Yeah. You know, laughing is good for your health. Studies show just laughing. I met somebody who does laughter yoga recently. <laughs> like lying on each other's belly? Well, that's one version. I think she said it was some different version, but it was the similar ideas. Get everybody mm. laughing and actually everybody gets on board and it becomes real laughter. And, and that's something that when all these close friends I talked about, that's the one thing that's predominant in the relationship is the humor and the laughter. Uh-huh. I, I don't think I could have a, a close male friend that I couldn't really laugh with. Right. 
we go off, you and I. <laughs> Funny and silly shit. That's right. Yeah. Someone to goof around with. Yeah. And I'm wondering if like, I think most women love to see that in men because it's like them being boys and having fun and they're laughing together. Yeah. Maybe something that a woman or man might not do to that degree, but she sees him do that and that's attractive. Yeah. Boy, they should do it together. Yeah. And humor makes up for a multitude of sins in other departments. It's the one thing that can cut in the incongruency of something and it has a, such a healing effect. Oh, yeah. Did I, I don't know if I mentioned this in a prior podcast, my ex-wife Robin, who you knew, when she and I, once this happened, when she and I got into a row, we sit on the floor, we face away from each other, we both simultaneously yell whatever it is we've been wanting to yell at the other guy, but simultaneously, so nobody really hears it. And then we take a pot of water that's sitting next to each one of us and pour it over the other guy's head just to break the tension, just to throw some human absurdity into it and break the spell. You have friendships with, with women and a certain degree of friendship with, with, your, with your wife and your partner. Sure. What do you feel the difference is? God, so many profound things. I'm not romantically involved with the men, so I don't bring that whole... Needy stuff and messiness. The, yeah, and... the messiness, uh, <laughs> all that that implies anyway. Okay. I don't bring that to it. Yeah, it doesn't seem as imperative to figure out. I wish you out. would bring it into our relationship and you'd pay for my dinners more often. Pay for your dinners. <laughs> but then you got to put out, man. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's such a rich vein here. You know, in many ways, I think they're mostly similar than different. You know, in terms of the my hunger for the depth and the conversation and collaboration and backing each other up. I mean, there's very similar things that... Do you do as much activities with women friends as you do with men? No. No, it's more get together like for a lunch or a talk, right? Right, you exactly. You don't go out and play tennis or... No, a hike sometimes. Uh -huh. Not doing stuff the way I do with guys. Right. Not the same way. But when I'm on hikes, we talk. That's what you do. You walk and you talk. In fact, I have a friend who calls them walkie-talkies. <laughs> Literally. I don't know. That just seems key. I mean, this whole conversation about men's friendships, to me, it just seems to keep coming back to just the power of conversation, being able to talk and be real, you know, be, as in be authentic with somebody else. Just be yourself, especially if you offer each other the, the listening piece, not just talking. You know, I mean, somebody once said, we've two ears and one mouth and we should use them proportionately. You know, really, the listening thing is huge. I know for our friendship and for the ones that really matter to me. And even better if people aren't just good listeners, but they're actually curious about me or about the other guy. When you're actually genuinely curious and want to know what makes them tick and this is a great skill instead yeah. of assuming that somebody's just. And another skill of friendship that a lot of men don't do well is keeping in contact. Uh huh. Right? Reaching out. And, yeah. you know, that's something that you and I have done so well. And I know that you have appreciated saying, hey, man, keep asking. Yeah. You know, when yeah. I, you know, I say about a movie or whatever exactly. to go out. But keeping that contact, I've always done that well right. all my life. I, I'm, I'm not the kind of friend that you haven't talked to me, you haven't called me and. If I want to connect, I make that connection. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important because a lot of people don't do that. A lot of men don't do that. Right. They don't know how to keep that going. Yeah. Well, that's also confusing territory. 
how much, how close is too close? How close is not close enough? I mean, the dance goes the same between guys, I think. And that even physically, I mean, we haven't even talked about the whole world of, you know, what's appropriate for guys to do in terms of touching one another. You know, sling your arm around the shoulder, hug, give them a bear hug from the behind. But earlier this evening, you stopped and gave me a couple of minutes on my back. Clarify that. I massaged his back. <laughs> gave me a couple of minutes on my back. My back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's rephrase that. But yeah, you gave me a massage on my yeah. shoulders. And I was just suddenly aware of how much tension I was holding. Yeah. It just felt great. Yeah. I mean, that we could just do that. We're hanging around alone together in a house. You never know what can happen. But this is safe and you don't have to worry about it. That's another thing that's sort of like being brothers. Right. And isn't that something, because a lot of men, that's okay to do that in like a form of sports. You know, you see a professional athlete or athletes slapping each other on the ass. Yeah, literally. Went right, score a touchdown yeah. or this or that, or they hug constantly. Yeah, you know which one yeah. I never understood is how guys can get away with wearing stockings over their head and that it's cool and macho rather than, you know. <laughs> with do rags. Yeah, well, you know, but, you know, the. I've seen this in some of the inner city areas. Right. Guys, sure. Put the stockings over yeah, their heads. Like, in what universe can a guy put a stocking over his head and that be macho? <laughs> wow. To so make sure that that roll is fine on the head is that do right. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, these days all bets are off. And it's interesting, you know, what just spurred me about like loyalty. What I hear for some men, some of the strongest male bonds and friendships have been in war, mm. soldiers. Right. Right. And even the metaphor with sports, when they say, yeah, we've been to war and back. That's my brother. We fought, you know, fought once for a again, championship. It's like the story I told about my dad. It takes a heart attack. It takes a war to bring men together yeah. in some of the most profound ways of their lives that they can never recreate afterwards for decades after the war's over. And they feel a hole in themselves ever right. since. Something about more ta- being that close to mortality. It literally saving each other's lives. Yeah. Right. And being close to death all the time. Right. It's really a, just a macro version of my dad's story. It took a terrible, it took somebody cutting him open from stem to sternum and opening his heart, literally at open heart surgery, rather than him opening it up from the inside. And in a way, I get it that it would be easier to have somebody surgically do that. That's hitting to the core because some aspect of our friendship is we talk about death. We talk about the possibility of, of just... Hell, anything. we hang out in the cemetery half the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's all around us because that permanence is, the impermanence is important, that mm-hmm. realization. And so that, that part about death enables us, I think, to be more vulnerable than we know if this is it. What yeah. do I want to show up? Exactly. What, what do I want to say? How <sighs> right. authentic and loving and kind do I want to be? Right. Yeah, my God. I mean, I've heard somebody say once at a workshop, just figure out something that you really need to say to somebody while they're alive and would regret terribly if they died and you never got to say it to them. Say it now. Go to them tomorrow and then report back to me kind of a thing. Whatever that is, do it now. So I'm going to put you on the spot, baby. Give it to me. What What, what would you say? What would I say? Well, especially knowing that I'm leaving also in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Whoa, man. I mean... How much your friendship has meant to me. Just that I've had the privilege of having this really cool relationship with somebody who speaks my language, you know, and somebody who can dive as deeply as I can. And somebody who's hungry for good relationship. That's just meant so much to me to have your friendship. The closeness, the humor. I've loved the laughing. And to share your family with me, including the one that died. Hmm. 
down by the river that day that you showed me River's grave. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow, that was right at the beginning of our relationship. Wow. And that set the tone. You like brought me into the inner sanctum, man. You did. And you showed me a precious part of you. It's like, whoa, okay, this is, this is going to be big love, what they call it, big love. Yeah, I opened up my heart. That was uh, our baby that died in birth. Who'd be how old now? She would be 18. Wow. Almost 19. You ever think about that? All the time. All the time. You ever look at young women and think, I bet she'd look like that. What I've been doing more is that that I have this incredible daughter in love right now Mm. in my life. Emma, Xander's girlfriend. (laughs) So she is the closest thing that I can feel and imagine of Mm. um, daughter love. So that's been a beautiful healing Mm. process. I remember the jar she left you before she left back from Belgium or wherever jar full of these little pieces of paper with, I mean, like a hundred of them with gratitudes, appreciations written on them, like a whole jar of joy. I thought, wow, that's a cool chick. Exactly. I mean, just the kind of daughter I would want to have. And for Xander. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That, that felt, mm, that feels good to hear that. And you you got it on tape too. I got it on tape. Exactly. (laughs) I'll be playing it like where I get really lonely for you. Yeah, sure. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) I'll set up a small altar to you in my living room. <laughs> and we have social media. That's right. I'm amazed how much intimacy you can get out of the internet. What I've loved about my feeling of friendship to you is I get so excited when I know that I'm going to be hanging right. with you. I know that there's going to be this carved out time, like from when we usually hang after work from six o'clock. Usually we, I try to draw it out as much as I can, <laughs> yeah. like 12, 1 o'clock, even though I have an 8 o'clock I session know. the next morning. I know. Because it just flies by with all the mix of fun, of depth, of emotion, of sharing, laughing. We can go any directions with each other, right. and that's so unique. And so the uniqueness of that has been fantastic. And I know that that's transforming and shifting because we're not going to have the accessibility like that in person to person. And right. we're going to have to create that in a different way. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. And just to know that it's so not in the category of, hey, man, we'll see each other again. Yeah, that bullshit. And then you don't. I just don't feel that. This is <laughs> till death do us part. That's right. I mean, really? I got your credit card number, so I'm going to be charging oh. airplane rides out to see. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not. Right. Yeah. For you listeners out there, he's not <laughs> going to do that. <laughs> So this has been sweet, man. It's yeah. been any last piece of advice that you want to give our fellow brothers out there about friendship? Ah, an image, a memory more that comes to my mind. I guess maybe that comes back around to, seems like my thesis for this conversation. I was with my dog once. Her name was Snowy. The boys next door named her. We tried changing it to Zoe, but just it didn't work. You got to have a dog's name you're willing to yell out into the neighborhood. <laughs> I was with her at a store and I went into the store and she was just outside and she wandered around the corner of the building. And when I came back out, I didn't see her, but I heard some guy around the corner making those little noises that people make with babies and dogs. Oh, aren't you cute? Look how cute you are. And this is what I heard. And I peeked my head around the corner and this is big guy with a military style crew cut, goo-gooing my dog. But the second he saw me, his voice, his voice dropped two octaves, and he turned beat red. He said, how about them bears? Yes, right. Bears. 
And I just in that moment said so much about how afraid men are of being vulnerable and showing their heart. That's what it was you hear when people talk like that to other right. critters. And he immediately shut his heart down when another man's was his presence. That was it. I was 20 feet away from him. So I just have compassion for the bunch of us and what we're up against in pulling rabbits out of hats and developing real live nourishing friendships with other men. So men go out there because we got to heal the world by doing that. That's right. Go play with the dogs. Make goo-goo noises. <laughs> Enjoy, everybody. Enjoy that adventure. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us. Thank you.